Is everybody that's here coming to the Christmas Eve service? Is there anybody that's here that's going to be unable to be at the Christmas Eve service? We want to welcome all those by way of television and radio and other means of communication. It's a real privilege and honor coming into your homes this Christmas Eve season. We wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We may be small in numbers but high in quality. And we consider it a real privilege and honor to be able to share with you Christ and a very evangelical gospel. And with us this morning is Margie. We thank you, Margie, for filling in when Clarice is unable to be with us. Our, um, my individual to my left here, you might want to introduce yourself. It's almost been a month since, since you've been with us. I believe we're ready to roll, so at this time, we'll turn to our opening hymn, my number one, Joy to the World, purple hymnal number 246, please, purple hymnal number 246, please. Okay, don't, okay, don't blame Margie if the notes don't appear to be quite right. Let's, Blame Mike for being in Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin. Thank you. 
Thank you. And our next number is a carol, Lo, How a Rose Ever Blooming, purple number 216. And we're going to have um, Mike do the lighting of the Advent candle after that. Um, Tina's unable to be, she's um, experiencing a little travel fatigue. So, purple number 216, please. As I mentioned earlier, um, Tina's unable to be with us, but Mike's going to be sharing now. And he's going to be sharing on the essence and the significance of the colors of the candles.
the candles um, are, as a lot of things are, very symbolic for the Bible. Advent itself is a holiday during our preparation for the Christmas season or holiday. There is a great reason for celebrating this event by lighting candles. The word Advent itself derives from the word, the Latin word Adventus. This means coming. Coincidentally, the Greek word translated to Advent is Prosia. This word literally means the visit of royalty or a king. Advent was also a term for the preparation of baptism of the new Christians during the January Fest of Epiphany. The word Epiphany itself means the manifestation of divine, divine realty. Royalty, sorry. <laughs> the first Epiphany was represented by royal gifts brought to Jesus by the Magi. More royal representation for Jesus was shown as baptism in the Jordan by John and his first miracle at Cana. During this season of Advent, Christians would spend 40 days in penance, prayer, and fasting, preparing for the celebration. Realize that originally, there was no connection between Advent and Christmas, but Christ changed that. Mainly in the fifth century, Roman Christians connected to Advent to the coming of Christ Despite not even previously celebrating his birth, the Romans did not celebrate Christ's birth. Their advent actually celebrates his second coming. That's what they did. They celebrated his second coming in the clouds as the entire world's judge. It was not until the Middle Ages that the advent season was explicitly linked to Christ's first coming and labeled Christmas. We light candles because they represent Jesus, the pure light of life. The first candle lit symbolized royalty, repentance, and fasting. The first week is a time to reflect on how the depths of God's silence felt during the time between the Old and the New Testaments. The second candle lit symbolizes hope, and we had in the steps it took to become a Christian. First, hope bloomed when we realized that not only Jesus and the prophecies regarding the Messiah were true, but they had already come to pass. This may have happened with the preparation of our own hearts to receive Jesus as part of inside of us, internally, as part of our soul's uh, salvation. The third candle we lit represents the rejoicing we have upon discovering Jesus as our own personal savior. We rejoice because we've heard and accepted God's good news. The joy felt is the immediate and eternal response of finding a savior that allows us to spend eternity with our Father God. The fourth candle we lit represents love. Our Messiah Jesus came as the embodiment of a pure and eternal love. Receiving Jesus meant that we not only accept his life on earth, but we, we also aspire to live eternally with his Father and our Father God in heaven. And we display this for the sake of others. 
the center candle in the middle of the group is white. This symbolizes the purity and perfection of Jesus Christ. The pure light he radiates defeats the darkness wherever it attempts to hide in all of his terrible aspects. No matter where it attempts to hide from the pure, eternal light, white light of the Lord. Let's uh, do a prayer now for Advent as we think of others that are not with us anymore and specifically for those who are. Lord Jesus, we know physical preparation of our human reaction to the Christmas holiday. Decorations and trees and songs. But let us keep the spiritual aspect in mind. And let us focus on the eternal gift that God has so graciously bestowed upon us through his Son. Mortally, gifts from Santa are the reason we, especially as children, decorate and share the love of the season of Christmas on that day. May every soul on earth, all of us, every human soul alive, come to relationship with Jesus Christ and realize that the Christmas season is much deeper than an earthly gift in trees and lights. May the earth's population realize that Jesus Christ, the lover and sacrificial lamb, died to bring us back to the Father for all, for the entire world's population. Not just people that go to church on Sunday, not just people that read their Bible, but even the people that will not join eternity with their Father. He died for them as well. He died for all of us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your holy name I pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Mike, and welcome back. Amen, and thank you, Mike. And the one thing that Mike and Tina didn't share is that they kind of went through a COVID time, and a couple of those weeks were because you were in quarantine or so, and so it's good that he um, he's back. And all the weight that he lost, I think he put back on. Is that true, Mike? Oh, wasting weight. Amen. Thank you, and and um, we're going to be um, just in a few brief days. We're going to be celebrating um, the birthday of Jesus um, at three fifteen. We. I guess we've traditionally done that for 23 years, so the years that I've been here, you know, it, one of the reasons was that we wanted to get people to church by, in, in the light, and then um, as it darkens, um, around about 4.15, um, get you back home, and I'll allow you enough time to prepare your meals and that, and, and um, just hide in your homes, there are people that are unlike you and I that abuse Christmas and they abuse themselves by alcoholic beverages and that. And, and it's unfortunate that I get a lot of calls that it's loved ones um, right during the holiday season because of drinking and driving. And over many years we were part of an organization called Mad Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. and, and um, it's 
tremendous, tremendous sense of loss when you lost a child. But then when alcohol is involved, it, it, it compounds a problem. Keep um, this Christmas season in your thoughts and prayers and also um, um, try not to drink. If you're going to drink, um, try not to drive. Uh, chaplain at the University Hospital um, and I had times in the ER when young people, young people would come in and they've lost, lost limbs or so due to um, um, an early start in alcoholism and their, their statement was all, you know, I only had one or two or, or so and, and they had enough to feel that they ha were confident to drive and what a tragedy. Um, and it, it always hurt me when they gave me kind of a partial testimony of their life. Many of them had um, one that stands out in my mind had an athletic scholarship, a full ride, and he's a pitcher. He lost his right arm, which is his pitching arm. And you know how times were were changed, and how lives and parents were were um, were hurt in the valleys of grief and doubt and despair because of um, alcohol. Father, this this morning as we reach out by by the airways of television and radio and other means, we pray for those families that have lost loved ones during this past year. We especially remember the Rose family and remember the tremendous loss of Lee to our church. And when Lee would join in on those refrains on joy to the world and, and Boone, how he would Boone out that scripture and thank you for Kurt and his, and his love of Christ. We thank you for Steve and we, we pray for that tremendous loss, emptiness in Kim's heart. But Kim has found favor with the Lord as we're reminded David, David mourned the sickness of, of his son he was in prayer and fasting, and when the child died, he went to church, and he worshiped in the temple. And we take that example that when we are going through grief and loss, there's, no, there's such an overwhelming healing bomb in, in, in worship and togetherness. Our scripture today that's taken from Luke, Chapter 1, verses 39 through 46 reminds us of the performance of joy, that we need that performance of joy in our hearts and our lives now. As we wait, as we wait and as we wait, waiting, we are reminded, can be um, hard. Waiting can be a, a difficult time to surrender ourselves to God's Holy Spirit. As we near the end of this waiting period of Advent, it may be hard, it may be frustrating, it may be disappointing, and these words reflect emotions many of us has as we, as we wait the passing of, of our loved ones. As we also remember the, the division that's going on in our church, the, the um, protocol for reconciliation and grace through separation and 
the birth of the anticipated global Methodist Church. And as much as we might like to ignore the reality of death, separation, biblically and spiritual history shows that often God's greatest movements come only after a long wait. The Hebrews groaned in slavery for nearly 4,000 years and wandered in the wilderness 40 more years before God led them to the promised land. Isaiah prophesied, unto us a child is born, unto a son is given, Isaiah 9, and yet Jesus was not born in Bethlehem until about 700 years later. In the New Testament writings, it took about 75 years after Jesus' resurrection to complete. And more than 200 years then passed before the church came to a consensus that these 27 books would form the authoritative canon, the rule of faith we call the New Testament. Waiting, waiting calls each of us for patience, for faith and perseverance. God does not wait, waste this waiting. As we wait, the Holy Spirit builds character within us, deepens our sense of hope and joy, and, and strengthens our faith. While waiting, the vision and the preparation for the global Methodist Church has developed and has matured. Waiting does not mean doing nothing. There's much that we can do as we wait. We can pray. During our Sunday school class, we experienced much direction and guidance by Ira. Many times I, I re received death notifications and questions about the church, and even this morning I received a number of calls and texts. Our former Dorothy Cossentine, who worshiped here a number of years, and her sister, both of her sisters have fallen, one to injuring her hip and another on to COVID. And we are called to pray for them. We are called to pray to attune us to the Lord's timing and purpose and prepare us to act in harmony with the Spirit. Pray for Tina. We thank you for Mike and Tina's safe return as they put on a lot of miles. We thank you for Mike's son, Ben, who I've spoken to on a number of occasions and encouraged him to be in church and be a part of our praise group. And he takes good care and clean, cleans our church. We are called during this season to stay informed, to, to read the scriptures, to read the protocol of confessing movement, supplies articles and materials through We Confess and, and the Pulse, the the websites of the Wesleyan Covenant Association, the Global Methodist Church, the Good News, the IRD, and Chris Ritter's PeopleNeedJesus.net, they're filled with information to keep us on par. We are called to connect with our annual conference and renewal group. We, we all can do and share information with our church and its members to encourage one another and our local leadership to openly discuss the challenges in the United Methodist Church, the 
alternatives and the decisions that congregations will need to make. We are called to encourage our bishops and our district superintendents to get, give permission to pastors to discuss these matters with the congregation, to encourage open forums where various people and groups can ask questions and express differing opinions. We are called to act and respond with mature Christian love. Personal attacks and name calling are not helpful. Even if we cannot remain one denomination, we can act with what Wesley called uh, that universal spirit of Catholic spirit. We are to keep our eye on the prize. The prize is not separation. Decisions born of anger or frustration often miss God's purposes. The protocol is desirable as a gracious step towards the real prize. We pray and we long for Methodism grounded in scripture, in step with the faith once delivered to the saints, filled with the passion to spread scriptural holiness across the globe. That prize is worthy of waiting, waiting a little longer. And most merciful God, as we pray, we pray for those who need that performance of joy in their hearts and a performance of hope this time of the year that kindled in the scripture according to Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45 as we prepare for Holy Communion today. As you remind us to pray, praying together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As I mentioned it a couple times previously, today our scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45, and I encourage those by way of television and radio and in our congregation to open their Bibles to that scripture. It's important for us not only to hear God's word being read, but to um, see it visually. There's been times where I've read scripture and I, out of deliberation, I've left out a word or two and um, just to see if people would catch me on it and there's significant words and I bring that up during the sermon. But turning now to Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45, please. Mary, the mother of Jesus, visits Elizabeth the mother of John the Baptist. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Here you find two pregnant women Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. 
and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this Lord, why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. Say it with me. Leap for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary began to sing a song of praise. That's why within Christian churches we always have certain elements of praise before the word is being distributed. The word is always the most important, but the praise in preparation and the singing prepares us for the unction or the anointing of God's Holy Spirit upon the word. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. I'd like to read a couple other verses here. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And in one translation, which I prepared the message today, as it ended in verse 5, it's blessed is who believed that there would be a fulfillment. And the alternate, closer Greek word is performance performance of what was spoken to her by the Lord. May God bless this reading and the hearing of his word. You and I are called to um, be, be performers, reformers of God's word. And we're going to be ultimately judged on how we perform, how we deliver the word of God in our hearts and in our lives. We should deserve first in this passage of scripture the benefit, the benefit of fellowship and communion between believers. One of the great joys of this season is looking out over the congregation and seeing Kim return. And I've heard so many people say, you know, it just, it overjoys me to see Kim return. But amidst that joy, is, there's a sorrow because we realize that Kim's husband of a number of years is no longer fellowshipping here upon earth or communing with her. But she's chosen to come back to um, her roots, I like to say, um, where mom and dad and brother and sister grew up. She enjoys it here and she fellowships with us and she joins us in having our gatherings after um, church coffee hour we observe in this scripture passage the benefit of fellowship and and communion between believers we read of a visit it was a visit that was paid by the virgin mary to her cousin Elizabeth, in the worship that came out of that fellowship and, and communion, we, 
we are told in a very striking manner how the hearts of both these holy women, the mother of John the Baptist and the mother of Jesus, were cheered and joyed and their minds were lifted up in this interview, in this fellowship, in this time of worship. And without this visit, without this visit, Elizabeth might never have been so filled with the Holy Ghost as we hear told she was. And Mary might never have uttered that song of praise which is now known all of the Church of Christ. A holy adoration, a salutation, and a greeting and benediction. The, the words of the old divines are deep and true that happiness, that happiness and in, in joy are deep and are true and are magnified when they're shared. That happiness and joy communicated doubles itself experientially, but grief, grief grows greater by concealing that grief. And joy by expressing it increases that muscle of of life. We should always um, regard communion and fellowship with other believers as an eminent means of grace. John and Charles Wesley, they, they called those holy groups that they met, and they were criticized because they had so much methodology. That's where our name Methodist comes from. They worshiped in cell groups, and when they felt that the cell group was getting too large, that people couldn't really outwardly express their blessings of prayer and sharing and communion that the cell groups would subdivide. It's refreshing to break in our journey along the narrow way to exchange experiences with our fellow travelers on the earth. It helps us to insensibly, and it, and it helps them to gain this mutual mutual admiration and respect one for another. We're at our best sometimes at worship. We show caring, and, and caring is reflected onto us. It helps us. It, it's the nearest approach that we can make on earth to the joy of heaven, which is worship and adoration of Christ. The scripture reminds us that, that iron sharpeth iron, and, and so doth the countenance of a person with their worshipful friends. We need reminding of this, that the subject does not receive sufficient attention and the souls of believers suffer in consequence. I hear quite frequently that couples will come to me and they say, oh, the joy and the hope of Christmas was not like it used to be. And they always come to the conclusion that it's because they seem to neglect Christ and, and worship and Jesus, which is the real reason for the season. We need reminding of this, that the subject does not receive sufficient attention and the souls of believers suffer in con a sense of consequence when we stop rendering unto God what is God's. There are many who fear the Lord, fear the Lord and 
and think upon his name, and yet they forget to speak often one to another. Malachi chapter 3, 16 reminds us of the, that when we don't put in that re reservoir of love and worship, our soul experiences the aridness and the drought. When we put food and merriment before worship, we not only hold ourselves, but, but our siblings and our children and our grandchildren. We create a legacy of a sense of loss of worship and the eternalness that we all long to have. First and foremost, let us always seek the face of God. Then let us seek the face of God's friends in congregational worship. If we did this more and were more careful about the company that we keep, we should oftener know what it is to, be, to feel filled with the Holy Ghost. How many times have you been encouraged? During our Bible study, I, I um, frequently do not want to contribute because I like to see other people contribute, whether it be on our Wednesday morning Zoom Bible study or on Sunday mornings. We should observe in this passage the, the very clear, very clear transparent spiritual knowledge which appears in the language of, of Elizabeth. Elizabeth uses, uses an expression about the Virgin Mary which shows that she herself was, was deeply taught of God. Deeply taught of God. Yesterday I had an experience to go to a couple memorial services. One was for Mr. Osterhus who had the publishing, Oscar who's publishing, Christian publishing here in Robbinsdale. And I think we have our, one of the worship bulletins and there's a number of clergy that were involved in his worship service. And the other service was by a chaplain over in Blaine. And I went up to her and I was talking to her and, and I, I'm always, kind of my analytical evaluative mind, I'm always counting the number of times that people talk about Jesus and, and it just seemed like overwhelming as, as we were talking about Dr. Mr. Hollister and his worship service. And then in the memorial service in Blaine, I, the um, gal, which was my age, she, I believe, did a good, remarkable job and I went up to her my pointed out certain points that I really appreciated. Asked her where she graduated from, and she said United Theological Seminary, and I said, you know, I graduated there, and, and she mentioned she graduated in 2017, and I did my math, and I realized, man, I graduated 40 years before her in 77. I said, what have you been doing? <laughs> you graduated in 2017, and she left the what she considered the ministry of teaching, went into the ministry of chaplaincy, and she does a lot of funeral services and that. We are encouraged as we talk about Jesus. She uses an expression 
about the Virgin Mary, which shows that she herself was deeply taught of God. I find that whether it's clergy or lay people, it's not how long you've been a Christian, but it's how far down the road you, you got in being taught of God. She calls her the mother, the mother of my Lord. These, these words, my Lord, are so familiar to our ears that we miss the fullness of their meaning. At the time they were spoken, they implied far more than we are apt to suppose. They were nothing less than a distinct declaration that, that the child who was to be born of the Virgin Mary was the long-promised Messiah, the Lord of whom David in spirit had prophesied, the Christ of God. In viewed in this light, the expression is a wonderful, wonderful example of faith. It is a confession that's worthy to be placed alongside of Peter when Peter said to Jesus, Thou art the Christ. Thou art the Christ. Let us remember, as we enter into this Holy of Holy Weeks, remember the deep meaning of the words, The Lord, and beware of using them lightly and carelessly. Let us consider that they are raptly applied to none but Jesus, who was crucified for our sins on Calvary. Let their recollection of this fact invest the words with a holy reverence and, and make us careful how we let them fall from our lips. There are two texts connected with the expression which should often come to our minds. The one is written, no one, no one can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. And in the other it's written, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 and Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. And finally, finally we should observe in these verses the, the high praise, the high praise which Elizabeth bestows upon the grace of faith. Elizabeth is giving high praise to you and I too as we look at the grace of faith. Blessed, she says, is she, you and I, that believe. We, not, we need not wonder that this holy woman should thus commend faith. No doubt she was well acquainted with the Old Testament scriptures. She, she knew the great things that faith had done, what, what is the whole history of God's saints in every age, but, but a record of the men and women, the boys and girls, who, who obtained a good report on their their performance by faith. What is a simple story of all from Abel downwards, but a, a narrative of redeemed saints, redeemed sinners who became saints, who believed and, and so were blessed. By faith, it says they, in the performance of their faith, they, they embraced promises. By faith, in their performance, they lived. By faith, in their performance, they walked. By faith, they battled as they performed in the world. 
By faith, they battled with the world, the flesh and the devil. By faith, they overcame and, and they got safe home. And of this godly company, the Virgin Mary was proving herself one. And no wonder that Elizabeth said, Blessed are the ones who believe. Those by way of television and radio and those who are here at Olivet United Methodist Church, do we know anything of this precious faith? This, after all, is the question that, that concerns us each Sunday and each day of our life and each breath that we take. Do we, do we know anything of the faith of God's elect, the faith which is the operation and the performance of God, according to Titus 1-2 and Colossians chapter 2-12? Let us never rest till we know it by experience. Experience, once knowing it, let us never cease to pray that our faith may be performed, may grow exceedingly. Better a thousand times be rich, re rich in the performance of faith than rich in gold. Gold will be worthless in the unseen world in which we are, we are all traveling. Faith will be owned in that world before God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the holy angels. When the great white throne is, is set and the books are opened, when the dead are called from their graves and, and revealing their final sentence, the value of faith and the performance of faith will at length be fully known. People will learn then. Learn then, if they never learned before, how true are the words Blessed are they that believed and performed their faith. Father, this morning as we reach out by way of radio and television and other means of communication, we thank you for those who respond and, and, and call us and let us know that they're, they're encouraged by our services. As we exercise our faith, and our giving of our time and our talents and our treasures and our appreciation for those who take the time to watch our services. We thank you for the labors and the fruits of our labors. We pray that the salt that we scatter and the leaven, the yeast, that as we may plant, that we may sow, that God would provide the growth. Help us to be encouraged this season as those candles of joy and hope and peace and love be always focused upon the Christ candle, the nativity candle. As you've taught us the plan of salvation, the ABCs, that A, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That B, we need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then C, we need to confess him. We need to perform those acts of faith. Let us pray together as we prepare for Holy Communion and within the United Methodist Church. We and we alone judge our relationship, whether we're in right relationship with God and our neighbor. May we say these words together, dear Jesus, bring into our hearts 
that joy and hope, that peace and love, which transforms. Forgive our sins. Make our lives cleanly. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. As we um, prepare for Holy Communion, we have the um, elements on the front altar here. And as we begin, we instruct you, you may either come and kneel, partake. The white cellophane is to get to the bread. And in the the tinfoil is to get to the, the grape juice. If for some reason you go right for the grape juice, you can keep the cap, take the cell phone off, grab your, um, your um, elements, the bread of Christ, which, the bread which represents the body of Christ, and, and the grape juice which represents the blood of Christ. Let us turn now as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, United Methodist Hymnal, pages 9 through 11, please. Would you turn with me and join with me? Purple Hymnals, page beginning from 9 to 11. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you. Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth, you formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God and spoke to us through your prophets, and so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join the unending hymn. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. Your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the spirit. When the Lord Jesus, say it with me, Jesus, ascended. He promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
And so in remembrance of these, your mighty actions, Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and a living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here, and on these gifts of bread and wine, make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory, and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. The bread which we break is the sharing in the body of Christ. The cup over which we give thanks is the sharing in the blood of Christ, the body of Christ given for you. Amen. The body of Christ given for you. Amen. Come as you may, and you may want to kneel as long as you'd like. You may want to... Um, Take it back to your, your, your pew and meditate upon it. But come now. Come by the center aisle and leave by the side aisle.
Thank you.